You got the chill. The chill, chill, chill. Everybody's ego takes a shot on this show. This is Rutledge and Hamilton with Jim Rutledge and Matt Hamilton, presented by Coors Light on 100.5 ESPN. Kids have chocolate and they have candy. But chocolate is candy. I think the clear differentiator is there's not a differentiator. Yeah. That's like saying strawberries or fruit. Which one would you rather have? Well, this is a horrible take. No, it's a correct take. No, it's not. Chocolate Broadcasting is candy. live from the Everlight Solar Studio with Matt Hamilton, here's Jim Rutledge. We are still breaking down Tauscher's terrible tears here on Rutledge and Hamilton, presented by Coors Light. It is a tear that was missing a team. (laughs) Poor Washington. Just basically, he grabbed a handful of Skittles and put them all together with his tear with basically every team uh, you can think of in it. And then just went out of his way to put... The fact that he has Chicago below Atlanta in the tears just is one of the bigger... This is I understand, but that's a Chicago bias. That's what I'm saying. Well. But all, but I mean, like Chicago. If you went around the NFL, going into this league, people would believe Chicago has a better the, chance than a better record. The quarterback makes a difference. I yeah. agree than with Atlanta. you. The Bears are a better team than the Falcons. I, going on paper, going into it, and you can't even really make the divisional opponent argument there no. because the South and the North are essentially in the same yeah. boats. Chicago that, and Green Bay should be in the same tier, and I would say you could put LA in that tier. Uh, and then that should be that. Yeah, and then yeah. New Orleans should be in the same tier with the Giants, Seattle, Detroit, and Minnesota. And Minnesota. I think those are that. That's yeah. that's your that's your. If you want a big tier, that's the one. And that's yeah. And that tier is very much of teams that could go either way. But most likely, the arrow's still pointing up on those teams. Count a lot of people pointed out, and they just love the stat that Minnesota won the most amount of one sc- one score games of all time. Uh, I, they won at Buffalo, so they they win big games. But I understand the point. Yeah, but it, it, I I get that point, but I also say like now it's a whole new year, and it's so, a new and it's the second year under the head coach. That makes a difference. It does. That it that's does. huge. Well, it's one of the reasons I'm excited down in Chicago too, especially with an improved defense there. That now they have a second year and they're putting more and more players of what they they have. So I want to hear from Colin Cowherd. Uh, he uh, yesterday not nice things to say on his radio show about the Green Bay Packers. I think we're going into uh, what the Packers were in the 80s, kind of irrelevant. Uh, They uh, don't have a great quarterback. It's increasingly a quarterback league. This is not a time when if you had, you know, 10, 15 years ago, great running back and great defense, you could be a dominating team. Those days are over. So I looked this morning. I'm moving to 6-11 and with the Green Bay Packers. Uh, I was trying to be very positive, very positive. I got them at six wins this morning. I went to the schedule. And I don't think that's negative. Ooh. And uh, I have them probably that six to eight window. This is kind of I don't I do like specific how many games they're going to win. I just think six to eight. I think their ceiling is lower. I think most likely if I was looking at a window, I'd go six to eight for Green Bay and Chicago, Minnesota. I'd probably go somewhere like seven to ten, and then Detroit. I'd probably go somewhere like eight to eleven. The wild card there is. Chicago, and I don't think it's going to happen, but if Fields makes the jump that Hurts or Josh Allen made, well, then they're the team that could blow the whole thing up. Now, I think they're going to be more likely a 6-8 to eight win team, but that is the one thing that Chicago has that we don't know Green Bay has, is that quarter, for the first time ever, that quarterback could be the guy. I don't know. I have no idea. Justin Fields, all he's showing is he can run the football right now, but he made dramatic jumps from year one to year two. 
So if he can improve as a passer with much better talent around him, that's a team that could surprise. But again, I'm still putting them on the same tier as Green Bay as 6-8 They should team. be. They should be. They had a bad year last year. And I, I, as for what Coward was saying, you know, the narrative surrounding it's a little much. You know, with the 80s, irrelevant and all that stuff. And the running back in the defense, that has worked in the past. Uh, example, 2017 Jaguars. But who's talking about that? <laughs> Point is... Bortles! Bortles. Point is, it's... It's not repeatable. It's not, yeah. It's yeah. the six to win window is not that that that's believable to me. I don't think that's the hardest thing in the world the, to believe. The fact that people like to point out the Ravens and the Giants of old and the Jaguars of seventeen and uh, the Titans a couple of years ago is because you can point yeah. them out because they stand out in the crowd. Mm-hmm. And most of those teams, and again, an expert in this is Chicago. I mean, Trubisky's team was a lot of running and defense, and that team won the division. They lost in the playoffs. They didn't get far enough. The quarterbacks win and the, Jackson, win the And Jacksonville, they ran out of gas uh, with Bortles. They were a possession away from going to the Super Bowl right. if we really had to go to that, if <laughs> but, Coward wasn't thinking about that. But I'm saying that, like, you, in the end, you still need the quarterback. Yeah. But to the point of, okay, Minnesota, were they 12-0 and in one-score games? Chicago's one and seven in one score games. Mm-hmm. That usually doesn't repeat itself. Yeah, so that's a team that all of a sudden just got to figure out how to win. Split. You add. Let's say they split the difference. Now they won three more there. So now they now they're at six without mm-hmm. trying very hard. You just win a few more of those. So games. here's my thing with the six wins from Coward. I don't. Yep. I don't think he's necessarily wrong. I think if you're arbitrarily just assessing the talent on the Green Bay Packers roster and the change that they're experiencing based on what they were last year. It's very easy to look and say that was an eight-win team last year. They should probably be about a six-win team this year. But when you factor in the schedule that they're playing and what the NFC big picture is, as we've talked about all day with Tausch's tears, and when you factor in the history of the head coach and the team that's had success except for last year under his regime, that's what I start to consider when I think they may lose a game or two that they shouldn't, but they should also win a game or two that you wouldn't expect them to when Kansas City comes to town or when uh, they go to Pittsburgh or something like that. Like There will be a game or two in there that I think the Packers steal. Do you so, think the Packers have a top-ten defense this year? Uh, no. Because that's the only way they're stealing I'd, those games. I'd say 12, 13. Like, I think they're just outside the top But that's 10. where they've always been. But they've had Aaron Rodgers to give them a lead so then they can play downhill and then they can yes. play a little differently. But, again, those are in years where the NFC is more balanced. The NFC isn't balanced this year. The but AFC talk, has but you all talked about the, the beating KC and Detroit. You're talking about those upsets. I, I did there. mention two AFC yeah, teams. So that's Probably why I was not asking my best that. argument. Yes. Uh, when you look at Detroit, Chicago, Minnesota, let's let's just use those six games as an example. Normally, the Packers would backtrack from where they were last year. You'd say, okay, if they won three divisional games last year, they're probably going to win two this year because those teams have also either gotten worse or are still not proven to be better than the Packers with where they're at going into this year. They might think. They could win three or four division games. They could win one, but they could win four. Mm. And that's just the landscape of the NFC this year. And until we get a couple weeks into the season, it's going to be really difficult to know where everyone's going to stand. I'm just giving my best projections like Tausch was, and like with, Colin Coward. Has. With these projections, what you'd expect from the NFC being the way it's laid out is a lot of these games are going to be close games. How, do these, how does this team fare in close games? Right. Difference between good teams and bad teams, you want to bring it back to Jim's stat with the Chicago Bears and the Minnesota Vikings, is how they are in close games. Mm-hmm. The Vikings, before they were 11 and 0 in close games or whatever it was, they were 6 and 8 in close games the year before when they went 8 and 9. Good teams know how to win a close game. 
That's the difference. If you don't think that's, if you think that's luck, that's a losing yeah. mentality. That's a, a you're you're a fan of a losing team. The only difference is just like uh, the Badgers in 2017. If the Packers are playing a lot of one score games this year, which they very well might, given yeah. the landscape of the conference. I would rather have the Packers up three with the defense on the field in the final two minutes rather than down three with the offense out there. And you're probably going to get a mix of both. You're probably going to get a mix of both. And again, I go back to because of the way the Packers built. This is the biggest reason why I would have a concern about the Packers. The way they built their roster, there's not depth there. And not bringing back Mason Crosby to go with an inconsistent rookie, a guy who was inconsistent in college as your rookie kicker, says to me, we don't care if we win those games. We don't if. Because here's the other part of it. God's honest truth, Packer fans. If if uh, Jordan Love shows promise and the team wins four games, you're fine. You're fine with that season. And that's not out of the realm of possibility either. Jordan Love could show some promise as being a good NFL quarterback, and the team could still win four games. They won six with Aaron Rodgers, and he had a hell of a season. And that team was coming off an NFC Championship game. This is an eight-win football team. And they had a... Hall of Fame quarterback playing at a fringe Pro Bowl level, and now you've subbed him out for a youngster. And when Aaron Rodgers came in, he was taking over a team that played in the NFC Championship game. What's yeah. the minimum number of wins you think that the Packers could? They the fewest amount that they could win five, but feel good about Jordan yeah. Love. That's a five. Five, for me. yeah. Like four, I think they can have a really bad year. So again, I I, I guess it's different. Chicago feels good about Fields. He won three, the three. Your last but there right. was. It was a lot of, he went out there and he ran around. Yeah, he, but he never asked. He never asked off. He never. He was a clear, unquestioned leader of that team immediately. He never asked out of these games. He. Uh, the other part of it is why I said three. It's all circumstances. During that year, at the end of the season, uh, when the Bears were playing the Packers, it was Equinemius St. Brown and Darnell Pettis as the Bears' top receivers, and then they were down to like their third or fourth offensive lineman at some spots. So. If Jordan Love is rolling out there and Watson and Dobbs are hurt and now you're rolling out there with Reed and God knows Samari who. Torre, yeah. Right. Well, then all of a sudden it looks and feels a little like so there's so many different aspects to it that if guys are getting hurt and it's David, it's not even David Bakhtiari, it's, it's Yash and Jenkins and then God knows who in the middle, like that all matters. Yeah. Roster construction, that's, that's how can you put your quarterback in the best position to win. The Bears obviously are making steps that way. Teams like all over the league, that's what they do. Get an offensive line in front of the quarterback, give him a running game, give him a couple receivers that could bail him out here and there. Where is the Packers' protection in terms of like roster offensive construction? Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs, are they bailout receivers? No. Can they be good receivers? Sure. But I wouldn't call them a bailout type player. They have two good running backs. Yep. How's the offensive line? The, he could get banged around. Like You need protection not even not in the in the literal sense from the offensive line. You need protection from the players around you in in terms of the skill positions as well. How many sa- we don't know the answer to it. How many sacks did Aaron Rodgers save by changing the protection? Yeah, and getting the ball out quick. Yep, uh, uh, that, changing the play. He he's your protection. Rodgers was the protection of the offense. Now you got the offense needing to protect Love. It's a complete flip. In, in their in their offensive philosophy. That's a major problem. LaFleur definitely sees and, that. And I'm trusting Matt LaFleur to scheme yeah. accordingly for that. That's why I think that they can still find some level of success this year. Yeah. Not saying it's going to be nearly as good as it was before last year yeah. or as it was last year, but they can have a level of success because I trust the head coach. Yeah. The unshriveled optimism in LaFleur is good. I don't think LaFleur is an all-time head coach, but 
Now it's like I said before, it's a complete flip in what your protection, where your protection lies. It's no longer the quarterback position position protecting everyone else. It's everybody else protecting the quarterback position. So now you got a lot of nerve, and he puts more pressure on the floor as well. You're really going to see what he's made of this season. And I don't think he's that great of a coach, but it's the idea that you no longer have a bailout at the quarterback position. Yeah, the last time he led a, an offense without Aaron Rodgers, the Tennessee Titans were pretty awful. Tannehill. Yeah. I think yeah. it was like 26 or something like that. Yeah, it wasn't good. Horrendous. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. Good. He's an, yeah. yeah and, he, and he doesn't win he doesn't win many big games and that's what happens. They turned three straight 13 win seasons. I get it. Congratulations. You got to give them the benefit of the doubt, but the jury's out on LaFleur. Yes, oh, there totally is. is. This, totally I think is. this year is all about Matt LaFleur. I think this year is more than it is about Jordan so Love. Good. I think it's Rogers, about Matt LaFleur. Rogers took off the spotlight of LaFleur usually because they had Rogers in the mix. Rogers would never throw LaFleur under the bus. It was always everybody else on the team. Now it's all LaFleur. Jordan Love. Everybody's going to look to him. Oh, he might just stink. Well, LaFleur, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Major Lef- problem. LaFleur would be the next uh, chip to fall. If you're Goody and you're looking at how to create this roster with oh, what no. you have. Love goes first. Does, a, does, a, does a five-win first. season blow out, blow it all up? No. I could, no? S- I could see LaFleur going after this year. I, I could couldn't see, see Jordan could, Love going after this year. I, th- I could see both. If they go after Williams, you're not. They're going to go after oh, somebody you know, else. That's, that's most likely. Or if they go after another quarterback, is my question. I guess that's fair. Yeah, that's, that's probably true. the most likely yeah. scenario. We're going to talk with Eric Name from the Athletic coming up at three thirty. Talk about the Bucks hire. They also hired uh, two new assistants to go along. Terry Stotts. They hired Joe Joe Prunty, and they also hired Patrick Mutombo. No relation to Dikembe. And look, there's Chris Paul rumors out there. Where's Chris Paul going to end up? I think he's going to go back to the Suns. I think he will too. I'd love to see him in a lot of different places. I saw the Bulls. Uh, Someone tweeted something about the Bulls well, yesterday. They, he he they can't say, make it through a season. I why I don't love the, the the appeal of him is not that great. He can't make it through a season. He's not the athlete he once was. Sure, he's a good leader in the regular season when he plays. Yep. He's not available. This is Rutledge and Hamilton presented by Coors Light. You're listening to Rutledge and Hamilton presented by Coors Light. Miss any of the show? Find full show podcasts free on Wisconsin On Demand and wherever you get your podcasts. It's just it's gonna get figured out. Rutledge and Hamilton continues live from the Everlight Solar Studio. Uh, Russo, Nelson, and Rutledge with you. Uh, you can get it to the show, 844-770-3776. Uh, let's throw some stones. The guys think they have the answers to everything. I'm the best there is. People like me. So it's time to put them to the test. That's some booty, Jim. You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. This is Throwing Stones, presented by Metro Kia of Madison, Madison's trusted Kia dealership. Well, how's it going today, guys? Haven't had much to say. Hello, Ryan. We got a lot of people in the studio. I gotta be quiet back here. Um, but it is time to throw some stones here on Rutledge and Hamilton. Every day, I waste a ton of time scrolling Twitter. Leaves me with a lot more questions and answers, and lucky for me, I got three people to help answer them for me today. So I'll throw the questions out to you, and at the end of the segment, we will crown a winner of throwing stones. So I'll go ahead and start with the possibly most dangerous collab of 2023. I don't know if you guys saw this, but are you guys familiar with the liquor Malort? Oh, uh, uh, no, Chicago fame. Yeah, yeah, I know. It. It's, it's like a black licorice. It's a it's black awful. licorice. It's known as possibly the most disgusting liquor available. And I believe that most Chicagoans would tell you it is a 
tourists drink more than an actual Chicago. Exactly, yes. It's like one of those things you have to drink when you're in Chicago, but it's apparently terrible, but they've announced a new collaboration yesterday. Four Loco tweeted out that they (laughs) are joining forces. That's the last thing you wanted to hear. I ask you guys, does the FDA need to step in and stop this, or is this something that we think... Should be allowed. Uh, Jim, I'll go ahead and start with you. Yeah, people can't be trusted. You need to step in and, and you put the kibosh on this. This sounds like a horrendous idea. I guess the only thing is that I think the alcohol tastes so bad that maybe it just won't be drank. <laughs> it's absolutely brutal. Uh, the first time I ever had Malort, I was out in Chicago on a Saturday night. And my friend goes, hey, you ever had Malort? I said, no, what's that? Made that mistake, and we'll never make that mistake again. It is one of the most disgusting things I have ever tasted. Was this at your dad chiller party uh, that no, you had a no, couple weeks ago? This was years ago. This was years ago. I've been, I've been off the malort for a long time, Willie. It's been terrible. Okay. My question is, how how do these things stay in business? Like, and even for Loco, did they like the FBI, like? Whatever the administration was, that the oversight. FDA, yeah, yeah they, they, they're like, you can't put caffeine in this. It was like too dangerous. I believe there was a number of college students who passed away, unfortunately, because of wow. this drink. I mean, and, and it's still a thing. It's amazing. Yeah, get the, get rid of that all altogether. So I just Googled it. It says, people always ask, what does Belort taste like? Malort is famously uh, challenging to drink with flavors that include notes of gasoline. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> grapefruit, sweat, wax, fire, mineral oil, and bitterness. Yeah, it's kind of all that at once. That's an incredible uh-huh. mashup. Yep. So it's like the hot dog of just like liquors. No, just hot dogs together. taste good. Oh yeah, but you take all the worst parts of like the pig and the cow and just throw them so all together. So it is a traditional Swedish spirit made with wormwood and other botanicals. And it it was (laughs) Carl Jepsen, a Swedish immigrant who moved to Chicago and started producing producing his own version of it and then selling it. Jepsen's Malort is the uh, the brand. Which is weird because I do not think of Swedish when I think of Chicago. Like, I would think Greek and um, Italian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well... Interesting, Malort, but yeah, I, I will think... Not, I will not be dabbling in that in, in that mashup. It's led to some bad up. decisions, we can say the least. And I think Jason Tatum had, had a bad tweet last night as well. <laughs> he tweeted out, the new Spider-Man movie is so good, Deuce, famously his son, Deuce Tatum, who's mm-hmm. like, you know, five or six, I think, I want to say. Uh, he, he said that Deuce told me, Daddy, I think I changed my mind. I might want to grow up and be Spider-Man when I grow up, but I still want to be you. And then Jason... Finish the two with good save, son. Good save. So, I ask you guys: Is Jason Tatum just lying that his son actually said this to him, or is Deuce capping about wanting to still be his dad? Colin, I'll start with you. <laughs> so, how old is this kid? He's like two, three years I old. I believe so? he's, he's like, like five, four maybe? or five at this point. Okay, yeah. he's very young. So, like the idea that he wants to be Spider-Man is completely believable in my eyes. Uh, him wants to be his dad. Uh, maybe he just wants to uh, toot his horn a little bit. He understands the NBA guys; they're divas. They want to be. They, they want people to stroke them out a little bit and make sure they feel good. So maybe his son understands that at this point. At this point in his life. Hey now. Did you say stroke them out? <laughs> stroke their egos. <laughs> stroke their am, egos. Am, okay. I, am I the only one who, like, when I was a kid, I never wanted to be the superhero because I thought the superhero was already the superhero. Like, I couldn't be Batman. Bruce Wayne was already Batman. Well, you haven't right. seen Across the Spider Verse, obviously. Well, no, I. Once we get into multiverses, I can't comprehend uh, it very okay. well. Uh, I think the kid actually said this, and I, I credit Jason Tatum for tweeting it out and sharing it with the world because I do believe that this interaction likely transpired last night, especially that he was watching into the Spider Verse or whatever it is instead of the finals. Instead of the finals, <laughs> yeah.
Um, I would say my six-year-old would say something similar. She's always sweet, and if she says something that like we will feign like being upset at, to like if she says something like, "Oh, you're I, I love you, Dad," and my wife will be like, oh, you know, and then she'll be like, "But I love you too." So like I do see this kind of happening or they'll, they'll try to realize like wait I didn't want to I didn't want to offend you even though you're not actually offended yeah I don't think he wants to offend him but not as cleanly at four yeah. years old not as cleanly yeah. as Tatum five years old I just five years, old. five years old still not as cleanly as Tatum is describing it no. like, it, like that is too thought out it was probably more like I want to be Spider-Man. Tatum gave him a look. Goes, oh, but I want to be you too, Dad or Daddy. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that was based. That's how it's that funny happened. that Jason's giving him probably giving him that look after a five-year-old says he yeah. wants to be Spider-Man. Right. Like he gets all like his ego is just torn down a little bit. Yeah, Jason feeding him his lines, but nobody <laughs> was feeding Jim Rutledge lines today. He was just feeding us knowledge about mm. Malort's. The history of <laughs> one of the greatest strengths in the history of Chicago. So well done, Jim. You are today's winner of throwing stuff. That is interesting. If Malort means he gets the win, then so be it. I do not. I'm not taking a shot of it. I'll tell you that. We'll talk to Eric Name. We'll ask him if he's ever tried it when he's made a trip down to Chicago. This is Rutledge and Hamilton presented by Coors Light. You're listening to Rutledge and Hamilton, presented by Coors Light. The mountains are blue, and we can prove it. Follow the show on Twitter at Jim and Matt. Locked in on the box. No, never in a million years. Bringing the insight and the analysis. I do hate charge calls. 2022 Wisconsin Sports Writer of the Year, Eric Name of The Athletic, is on Rutledge and Hamilton. Let's uh, hop into it quickly with Eric Name from The Athletic. A very busy man, I am sure. Uh, This is Rutledge and Hamilton presented by Coors Light. We're live from the Everlight Solar Studio. Uh, Jim Rutledge alongside Colin Russo and Jesse Nelson. Ryan Wollershine behind the glass. And we have Eric Name on the line. And Eric... I'll, I'll guess I'll, I'll start with this, the obvious question, after getting some some press conference time and some FaceTime with Adrian Griffin. Uh, what are your, your thoughts? And we haven't talked to you since the hire's been made, so kind of just give us the timeline and, and what you think about him. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, – I think it was interesting that the, the Bucks ultimately opted for a first-time head coach. Uh, and, you know, that was something that John Horst mentioned during the press conference, um, that – Going into it, they probably had a bias toward a head coach with experience, with mm-hmm. someone that's done it before. Uh, and, you know, he said, you know, we tried our best to, to fight any biases we might have had in that process. And, and ultimately, we came away thinking that Adrian Griffin was the guy. And, you know, throughout that press conference, he kept mentioning that his assistant GM, Milt Newton, um, kept saying, like, hey, Adrian's a head coach. He just hasn't gotten the opportunity yet. And, and that was the sentence that really stuck with John Horst. And, and I think to me that's going to be the interesting thing to, to kind of watch this year is uh, if that is actually factual, if this is, you know, a job that Adrian Griffin was put on this earth to do because we don't, we don't know. We, we know that he can be a successful assistant coach, but we have not seen him sit in, in the big chair yet. And I think that's going to be something that, that's really interesting to watch. I, I thought one of the interesting things that, you know, we heard in that press conference was, and again, different people will view this different ways. There there could be someone that views this as a negative personality trait. Um, but I'm someone that 
tends to think that, hey, if you don't have the answers, you know, hire someone that does and make sure that they can help you out. And, you know, that was one thing that Adrian Griffin mentioned a couple times on Tuesday was, I don't have all the answers, but John and I are going to work together to, you know, form a really strong coaching staff and make sure that there's people that I can lean on. And, you know, if they don't have answers either, we can do the research and, and we can come to, you know, a decision that makes sense for the team. And, and I think you're, you're kind of seeing that as you watch the, the coaching staff that is being assembled around Adrian Griffin. Uh, obviously, you know, Terry Stotts was something that they confirmed on Tuesday. Uh, Joe Prunty and Patrick Matumbo, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski at ESPN reported today, and that's something that we can confirm at The Athletic. Those two joined the staff as well. Um, you look at Stotts and Prunty, Prunty's been an assistant coach for, I believe, about 30 years now uh, at this point. He's someone that knows the league inside out. He was in Milwaukee when J- Jason Kidd was here and helped out a first-time coach then. He'll be doing that again with Adrian Griffin. And Terry Stotts is someone that's won hundreds of NBA games. And when he was in Portland, that was a top-ten offense nearly every season that he was there. They went to the playoffs eight straight years. That's a dude that can really coach, and, and I think someone that – you know, can help out when Adrian Griffin does have, have those questions and does need a little bit of guidance. To, to have that type of experience on the bench with him, I think is just going to be huge. And personally, I think that that's great. Other people might say, um, why can't my head coach just have all the answers, right? Like, why, why don't I have the guy that, that knows it all? Um, and, and we'll see how it ends up going. Uh, but I did end up having kind of that takeaway that, okay, it's interesting that they went with a first-time coach, but this first-time head coach really, to me, seems to understand how to delegate, how to put this together, and how to collaborate to, to get the job done and put the Bucks in a position to compete for championships. Uh, Eric, Colin Russo here. It, it's interesting that you said that, you know, a first-time head coach, which is sort of a leap of faith in a sense, getting a guy for a, t- a team that most people think is win-now ready, and they got their superstar, and they're trying to capitalize on that on that uh, that prime he's in, but there's a lot of questions surrounding this roster as well. There's a lot of free agents in the mix. You obviously got the player options coming up. Like this is a going to be a daunting task. You know, you got Giannis, but all the other pieces here and there. Is it going to be in his interest to kind of make some changes there, or is he going to try to bring back the core that won so many games last year, or is he going to try to change things up and see what type of options he could go into to kind of complement Giannis and and their core players? Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. During the press conference, um, we kind of asked about the talent and expectations. Uh, Adrian Griffin very quickly brought up the fact that they have four players at the top of the roster that could be or have been number one options for teams before. And then by name, he mentioned Giannis Dettacumbo, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Brooke Lopez. And as you mentioned, two of those people, Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez, do have decisions to make uh, this summer. They have to figure some things out. Chris Middleton has a player option for $40.4 million uh, that he can choose to accept by June 21st, or he can opt out and he can still sign an extension with the Bucks, or he could sign elsewhere. Um, and that's a, that's a big option. And today at The Athletic, Shams and I reported that you know Chris had undergone a successful surgery on his right knee shortly after the Bucks were eliminated from the playoffs this season. Uh, to kind of address some of the issues that he was dealing with um, throughout this season. And, you know, I, I think there's 
there's a lot of questions about what Chris can be going forward, but there's also the realities of the Bucks cap situation. Uh, if the Bucks or Chris Middleton is that you know if Chris decides to opt out, or if the Bucks you know decide that hey, even if he opts out, we don't want to work an extension with him, they're not just going to have forty million dollars to spend. They're already over the cap. They won't be able to sign someone else. And I think that's always kind of the thing you have to keep in mind that with this Bucks team, because of Giannis's supermax extension, which was the biggest in NBA history at the time that he signed it a few years back, and because of the extension they signed Drew Holiday to, and because of the dollars for Middleton and for Brooke Lopez, this is a team that is already over the cap. They're not going to have cap space. And largely the option is bring Chris Middleton back or – go sign a veteran minimum. And if, well, no matter what someone thinks of Chris Middleton, his future, you know, what it's going to look like after the, the cleanup procedure he had done on his right knee, um, he's a whole heck of a lot better than any veteran minimum you're going to find that's out there on the market. Uh, so, so I do think, you know, it's, it's really a situation. And with Brooke Lopez, uh, the Bucks in time to a three-year $54 million deal, uh, if they want to before free agency starts or he can go in free agency and be open to an even bigger deal from other teams and things like that. But again, there's going to be people that, you know, maybe want the Bucks to play a slightly different style of defense. Maybe they want a, the Bucks defense to not lean on Brooke Lopez so much after, uh, you know, a season which he finished runner-up for defensive player of the year. I think it's crazy, but some people might want that. I get it. He's big, he's tall. And, you know, he's a little bit on the slow side. So people could want those changes, but, but I think overwhelmingly the reality of the cap suggests there's just not a ton of options out there. You can lose those guys. You can decide to go into a different direction. But because of the way that the salary cap is set up, you're just not going to be able to spend a whole lot of money on those guys. And, and when you're talking about Chris Middleton, you're talking about Brooke Lopez, you're talking about two of the top guys at their respective positions around the league. Eric, we've been talking a lot about NFL and specifically NFC teams and their tiers today here on the show. <laughs> Would you say that the uh, you know the Boston Celtics, I think we're clearly a tier one. Miami, they've both been in the conference finals the last few years. They're, I'd say they're both tier one in the Eastern Conference. With the changes the Bucks have made or are expected to make and the changes that teams around the conference will make throughout the rest of this offseason. Would you say going into next year, the Bucks will still be a tier one team in the Eastern Conference contending for a title? I mean, it'd be really hard for me to imagine them not being in that tier. Um, obviously, as I just went over, they could lose Chris Middleton. They could lose Brooke Lopez. Um, I don't think either of those things are incredibly likely. Um, so, so I do think that the Bucks will have much of the, the same roster at the top, at least, uh, that they had last year. And if they have that, they're going to be in that same tier. And, and I do think you put them in there. It is the three teams that have represented the Eastern Conference in the finals of the last four seasons, in the Bucks, and the Heat, and the Celtics. I think those are probably the the teams that you're talking about on that top tier. And and I think where it gets interesting is, you know, there's a real possibility that, you know, maybe the Celtics aren't there. Jalen Brown has a big decision to make this 
offseason, the Celtics have a big decision to make if they want to offer him the Supermax and over $200 million. And they have to make that decision, and Jalen Brown has to decide if he wants to be in Boston long-term. There's a possibility that he's not there. James Harden has a big decision to make this offseason. You know, you're looking at the Sixers team, who we haven't talked about, who was also at the top of the East, but they could lose James Harden, and it's, for them, it's a Chris Middleton situation where they don't have money to go get somebody else. If they lose him, he's gone. There's no replacing that level of talent. And again, no matter what you think of James Harden, he's a whole heck of a lot better than a veteran minimum. So I, I think for the Bucks, if you have Giannis, you have Drew. No matter what, you're going to be in that tier because Giannis, no matter what Jokic is doing right now, is right there along with Jokic is you know, the two best players on the planet at the moment. Um, so you're always going to be in that area, but I do think with the way rosters move around and, and what the Bucks will ultimately do this offseason, uh, I think there's there's plenty of reason to believe that they're going to be in that same tier, which really puts them at you know six years of being on that tier in the Eastern Conference, and, and uh, I mean it says a lot about how good Giannis has been and how good the team they've put around Giannis has been for the last six years. Uh, talking with Eric Dane from The Athletic, I just got to throw this out there. I think I saw Javon Carter might be looking for a contract otherwise or elsewhere. means they could use a backup point guard. Uh, Chris Paul? What, what, <laughs> what, what yeah, percentage are you putting I mean, on that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a very intriguing option. Uh, I do think Chris Paul probably has better relationships with a lot of other teams around the league and other mm-hmm. players around the league. And that's not to say, like, you know, it's, it's bad between him and Giannis or Drew or Chris or Brooke. Like, that's not what I'm saying at all. I, I'm just saying, you know, he has yeah. friends out there. Um, and none of those friends are currently on the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, so I think there's a very real possibility that he goes back to the Suns just at a cheaper deal and they figure out something that way. I also think there's a real possibility that he goes to the Los Angeles Lakers and he, and he gets to team up with, LeBron James, and they kind of get to see how all of that goes as well. So um, I would say pretty low odds on him coming to the Milwaukee Bucks, not necessarily because of the Bucks doing anything wrong or, you know, the organization having any defects, just Chris Paul kind of enjoying other franchises a little bit more. Yeah, Eric, it, it's based on that, uh, that what I, my analysis of what you just said, the Bucks. Their situation really is they got a new coach, hopefully an experienced staff around him. Hopefully they can help him grow and kind of fit into his own. But in terms of financially, their hands are tied. They don't really have a choice other than to run it back with the guys they got really at hand with them. Am I reading that? I I mean, I think that's certainly true at the very top of the roster. Um, I think when you look at this roster overall, uh, there is a new collective bargaining agreement going into effect this summer. Um, that has more punitive penalties for how far you get up over the cap. And, and there's something called the second cap apron, which is going to be in there as well. And, and the Bucks are going to flirt with that line. And the easiest way to not flirt with that line is to probably turn, you know, one of their mid-level contracts, which is guys like Pat Connaughton, Grayson Allen, Bobby Portis, turning one of those three guys from – Someone that makes, you know, I think nine to twelve million dollars a year to someone that makes four or five or a rookie contract or, or whatever that may be. 
Um, so as far as roster redo, remake, to me, the the spot that I think people really have to look out for this offseason is, is kind of in the middle section of the roster. But also, that's something that's going to be happening around the league. Uh, I think the, the goal with the new CBA was to hopefully spread out the top talent in the league, fewer teams with three max guys or near max guys, and make it you know only two max guys, and then you still have the, the healthy middle class. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen. I think around the league you're going to see teams say, all right, we'll just do three maximum guys, and then the rest of the roster is minimum guys. And and that's just how we're going to go about it. So I don't think the Bucks will be the only team in the league thinking that exact same thing that I just laid out, where, okay, maybe we can move someone from the middle of our cap sheet to the bottom of our cap sheet. So to me, if you're looking for the Bucks roster remake, that's kind of the area to look at. They just got to do what the Heat do and just get a bunch of undrafted free agents. <laughs> and just, yeah, it's so easy. I, I, mean, I mean, that. That, that is certainly a question. Uh, that's the, the second question I asked in the press conference 30 minutes in was like, hey, in Toronto, they're known for that. Yeah. That's something that they do very well with their G League uh, with their G League franchise and kind of undrafted guys and second-round guys and you know just kind of churning roster spots out of the bottom of the roster. That's something that the Raptors were very good at. And, and I do certainly think you know when you look at what the Bucks are going to have to try to do, that needs to be. Yeah player bigger role that needs to be something with the new cba that the bucks are consistently getting talent and getting production out of the bottom of the roster uh and i don't think it's any sort of accident that they pick someone from a franchise that has been doing that for the last five to ten years eric uh, awesome stuff as always we appreciate it no problem thanks for having me that's Eric Name from The Athletic. Read everything he's uh, written about Adrian Griffin and keep you up to date on the Bucks' new hire. You missed any of that? Listen back to Wisconsin on the Man, Apple, Spotify, and those great places. Brought to you by Revive Restoration, RevivePros.com. If you have smoke, water damage, mold and radiation needs with your home or business, go to RevivePros.com. This is Rutledge and Hamilton, presented by Coors Light. You're listening to Rutledge and Hamilton, presented by Coors Light, a finalist for Best of Madison Radio Team. Vote at Channel3000.com. People really like this show. Players like John, you know, two-time MVP. These guys want to be coached. You know, he's extremely open and on board, and I look forward to, to working with him. Adrian Griffin there of the Milwaukee Bucks, new head coach. And what did you guys think of Eric Name? And specifically the idea, Colin Russo, Justin Nelson, Jim Rutledge with you uh, live from the Everlight Solar Studio, the idea in question that one name that was put out there, Bobby Portis, has been floated a few times. It seems the most likely scenario for the Bucks is that Chris Middleton will opt in maybe for his one-year $40 million it's deal. $40 million, yeah. Yep. And then and he probably could get more guaranteed over two or three years. But I think opting in gives him a good chance to, to get one more payday and then see what happens. But then, uh, obviously, Drew Holiday and Giannis, but Grace Allen, who I can get rid of whenever, uh, he's one-dimensional. Yeah, he stinks. And he's not, like, he's not one-dimensional like Tyler Hero's one-dimensional. Like, he's just... No-dimensional. <laughs> right. You can pay someone less money. I mean, that's the classic yeah. second-round or undrafted guy. Give someone a shot. Right? Yes. A high-motor guy who could fill it plug-and-play there, yeah. Right. So Grayson's a guy that I think the Bucks will likely try to just give away for a younger player uh, that could do similar things. And then you have 
Uh, obviously, Bobby Portis is a name that's up there, too. I mean, Pat Connington could be out there. Like These yeah. sort of players who are kind of ancillary is where you're going to fit in. Yeah. And then you're going to have – you'll have. it's hard to figure out where some of these players fit as far as mid-level and veteran and all these different things you can that I don't understand how it works and it really can't be figured out until free agency gets rolling here. But I could see Grayson Allen and Bobby Portis both be moved. So uh, what I'm most intrigued about is I feel like the Bucks have already kind of made their decision – because I think you could have had you could have either run it back with Bud and changed some of the personnel, or you could bring in a new coach and see if new eyes on it, new philosophy gets it done with a lot of the same characters in place for at least one more year. So I think they're going to run back a lot of what they already have. I think I think they bring it back with Adrian Griffin. Say, okay, here's a couple of things that I think I can tweak on a team that already was the number one seed last year that won a f- finals title a couple of years and ago. And had some injury trouble, too. And had some injury trouble in each of the last two playoff runs. Exactly. So I think they're kind of planted their flag already with running back many of the same guys. Of course, there's going to be a little bit of turnover. And Lopez is interesting because he doesn't really fit the style of defense that Griffin likes to play. That one is interesting, yes. But also, like he, he has found such a niche on the team yeah. that it's going to be hard to try and upset that when you already have a brand new coach coming in. So I think the coaching philosophy, similar to what we saw with the Packers in 17 and 18, like they changed coaches before they made any other additional changes. Let's see if they do the same thing with the Bucks or if they decide that this year they want to try and really tear down a couple of different parts of that operation and bring back something that feels totally new. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you because, you know, this is not a young roster in terms of comparatively to some of the rest of the league. You know, Drew Holiday, 32 years old, 31 years old. Chris Middleton, same age, 32. You know, Giannis is still in his prime, and Giannis is the star. He's going to be the, the rock. Brooke Lopez, 35 years old. It's not like they could. they have too much time to dance around with this. They're paying these guys a fortune, and they it's just a matter of who you're going to place around the pieces of the puzzle to make the ship float. The, so yeah, that's very all it top is. heavy. Very, very top heavy. And, and, and they're not young. So well, they're going to yeah. need to figure that out, and it's going to be a lot of figuring out where you can plug and play. I, I, I said it earlier, and I think I was joking about it, but the undrafted free agents, Marshawn Bochamp is a guy that they need to make a jump to really be a contributor. And they might have to live with growing pains in the regular season. Yeah. Maybe be a four Sacrifice seed. Sacrifice that because it doesn't Look matter. Miami's an eight seed. They're going to be a finals. This has been Rutledge and Hamilton presented by Coors Light.